West Africa. As we know, mashallah, uh, Dr. Ahmed and uh, the team and uh, the community of Folsom, together with the Sacramento uh, community, mashallah, has done uh, tremendous uh, relief work with uh, Ihsan. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, make it grow from strength to strength. So, Sheikh is, uh, mashallah, uh, the director of uh, development for Ihsan Foundation and also the director of youth programs for RIDA. Uh, RIDA Refugee uh, Enrichment and, Develop and Development Association. RIDA also, mashallah, I've had the honor of working with uh, the organization all of these years, mashallah, they're doing tremendous amount of work. Uh, uh, over here, but even nationally, but for us over here, the local community has benefited uh, tremendously. So, mashallah, Sheikh is on board uh, with uh, Rida as well. Mashallah, Sheikh is a Hafiz of Quran and has a diploma in Islamic uh, studies from California Islamic University and a degree in communication uh, from uh, San Jose State. Mashallah, he's been diligently serving the Ummah in different capacities for more than uh, 10 years. So. I think Sheikh moved to Sacramento area about five years ago, five or six years, six years, mashallah. I remember Imam Tahir um, Anwar had uh, called me at the time and uh, given a brief introduction of Sheikh, Sheikh is from, from the Bay and uh, Alhamdulillah has made Sacramento his home and uh, thrived and the community has benefited, mashallah, tremendously. Uh, our dua is for Sheikh and family that you continue to enrich the community and we will inshallah benefit further. Jazakum khair Mufti Amr for the the introduction. We ask Allah to to accept all of your efforts as an individual. May Allah bless you and your family always and uh, Mufti Ahmed, his, his father, may Allah have mercy on him, served uh, diligently as Imam in, in Milpitas, so he also has some, some roots in, in the Bay Area, so we can, we can claim him uh, as well. Uh, mashallah, we ask Allah to accept all of his efforts as an individual, efforts from his entire family, and any efforts that come from uh, those of you in this community, May Allah bless you, and may Allah accept everything that you try to do for His sake. Amin Rabbil Alameen. I want to uh, to start off. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Rabbil I want to start off by thanking the uh, the Muslim community of Folsom for allowing us to come on behalf of Ihsan Foundation for West Africa last Friday for uh, for Jum'ah, and then uh, and then again today for for the family night. So the, the driving was, was spaced out over two Fridays, which actually worked out perfectly, alhamdulillah. Uh, I want to give a, a quick update. Uh, I asked Dr. Bangura yesterday, Dr. Ahmed Bangura, the, uh, the founder of Ihsan Foundation, going back to 1996, um, I asked him yesterday if he had any, any final updates regarding the numbers uh, from how much was given last Friday uh, at Jum'ah, we had a table set up, and uh, mashallah, a number of people stopped by and, and, and gave generously. He mentioned that in his since Ihsan has been founded, going back to 1996, he said, last Friday in this community was 
that was the most generous that he has ever seen any community be in connection with Jum'ah fundraising without any active fundraising. So there were no hand, there was no hand raising, there was no, no who wants to give X amount, Y amount, Z amount. So he was, he was uh, very, very impressed by that. He was very thankful for that. And he said that the amount between credit card donations and cash and check and all of that combined came out to 15,000. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. So may Allah bless your community. May Allah bless the generosity that is within this community. May Allah give all of you so much more than you have ever given. May Allah open abundant doors for you, for your children and their children until the end of time. And may Allah help all of you, all of us to remain on the straight path as best we can. Amin Rabbil Alameen. Uh, briefly, before we uh, before we begin, there is, so again today, there is a table set up for Ihsan Foundation for West Africa in the hallway. If anybody wants to stop by, there are some different flyers, there's different literature there. If you want to stop by and check it out. Uh, the amount that was given last week, may Allah accept it, uh, was towards orphan support. That was enough to completely cover all of the expenses for 25 orphans for an entire year. So that, that's actually a major accomplishment, mashallah, tabarakallah. If anybody wants to give more, if anybody wants to, you know, double down and double the edra and the barakah, feel free to see me afterwards. We'd be more than happy to, uh, to make that happen. Uh, most importantly, may Allah accept any good we try to do for His sake. Rabbana taqabal minna innaka anta simulalim wa taba'alayna innaka anta tawabur rahim. And we ask Allah to overlook any of our shortcomings. Amin Rabbil Alameen. And if anyone has any questions afterwards, feel free to to see me after the uh, the talk, inshallah. The topic for tonight is stories from the life of the beloved, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the reason why I wanted to touch upon this topic is because seerah, the, the biography, the life of the Prophet, والسلام, is a topic that's always relatable for all of us. It's always relevant for all of us. There's always something that we can walk away with from any reminder in connection with the life of Al-Habib the, the key to have that fruitful experience is for us to have open minds and open hearts. Someone, they may go to a khutbah, they may go to uh, a masjid, a lecture, a reminder, a conference, and if they think to themselves, I already know this, I've heard this before, you know, what's the big deal? Uh, you know, I already have the information that's not necessarily the point. The point is for the mind and the heart to have a type of osmosis, for there to be a connection and a fusion between the two. There's the information, yes, but it's supposed to penetrate and permeate, it's supposed to affect the heart, and then that's supposed to then affect everything else. The Prophet taught us, هَهُنَا, that taqwa is here, and he pointed to his chest, to his heart three times, sallallahu when taqwa is present, when that God consciousness is present in the heart, then everything else ends up being affected by it. It affects a person's words, how they speak, it affects a person's ears, what they listen to, how they, how they listen to people when they speak, their eyes, how do they use them, how do they look at other people, right? How do they look at other people who may have less dunya than them, who may have a lower quote-unquote socioeconomic status than them, how do they look at them with their eyes, right? So it's supposed to affect everything else. It's supposed to affect where do you make your money and how do you spend it? It's supposed to affect how do you spend your time? It's supposed to impact your relationship with the masjid. How do you treat ulama? How do you treat scholars? 
right? The Prophet, he taught us, والسلام, that scholars are the inheritors of the Prophet, and ulama anbiya, that the scholars, they're the inheritors of the prophets. So if a person, if that penetrates a person's heart, then the way they're going to see their local imam, their local scholar, a scholar visiting from, you know, from far away, whatever the case may be, there's going to be a sense of love and appreciation because of what the Prophet taught us, the intention, so just to remind us, let's kind of you know recenter ourselves. The intention, whenever it comes to anything in connection with our deen, especially in connection with the life of the Prophet, the intention should always be, and it has to be, how can I benefit from this? How can I benefit from this? What can I what can I take away? from this reminder, even if a person may have heard the story of Badr before, the Battle of Badr, and if they hear it again, what is, what is Allah telling me? Is there something contained within this story that Allah wants me to walk away with from this now specifically? Someone may be casually thinking about an ayah, and then they listen to a reminder, a lecture, they attend a khutbah, and that unique ayah, that specific ayah, is part of that reminder that should affect them, that should have an impact on their heart, and they should think to themselves, okay, is Allah telling me something? Is Allah showing me something? And this is something that can only really be experienced in real time. Allah is going to show us different signs externally, and then also, also internally. So we ask Allah to open our eyes and to open our hearts to these signs and to help us to benefit from them. In connection with the life of the Prophet I want to go through uh, a few different points in his life and to highlight a couple things in connection with that. Uh, and we hope and we pray that we can all benefit from this reminder. For myself first and foremost, When you look at when the Prophet himself was born, you find immense barakah, immense blessing from the time that he was born. You can, look in, you, can, you can look into it further as it relates to when his mother was pregnant with him and the delivery. I'm going to move just past that when Halima Saadiya, when, when, uh, when, she, when she takes guardianship over him. That's the story that I want to start with. And that story in and of itself, it really, really shows us what can happen for you and I when we welcome the Prophet into our hearts, when we welcome him into our lives, It's not. It, so we should look at it in a way where with lenses, how can I benefit here and now from that story? It may have happened 1400 years ago, well over a thousand years ago, but how can I benefit from it here and now? So... The barakah that's found when Halima Saadiya, when she was responsible for taking care of the Prophet as soon as that happened, so when she goes into Mecca, she go, this was a practice that they had in, in their society at that time. It was common for those living in the cities, especially a major city like Mecca, to allow uh, Bedouin tribes, they would come in and, and they would basically have an agreement with the family that they're going to take their baby, they're going to take their child and take care of them for X amount of time, and then afterwards they'll bring them back. So she goes in, and it's mentioned that on their way, on their way in to Mecca, 
the even the the riding animal, the donkey that she was on, it was very weak and it was very tired and it was very slow and you know as a as a as a people as a tribe they were struggling with famine and there were many many challenges they go into mecca and everybody ended up uh walking away with someone uh, a baby that they were going to take ownership of to, to take care of essentially but people they kept on they kept on bypassing muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam because in their minds there's so much benefit, there's so much protein contained within even just this story. We'll get to other stories, but just look at this story with these lenses. Everyone is, is passing everyone is passing on him because they're thinking from the eyes of a dunya perspective that he's an orphan. The Prophet's father passed away before he was born. So he's born as an orphan. So when they go into Mecca and they're looking to walk away with a baby and to have an agreement with the family, because they would get paid for doing this. This wasn't volunteer work. They were paid for taking care of that child. They go in, they go into Mecca, and everyone is passing on him. Because from the limited human eye, he's an orphan, we're not going to get paid that much. So let's go and take a baby from a family that that does have the father present, so we can negotiate for a higher price and we're going to end up gaining more, profit-wise, no pun intended, by taking care of another baby. That, that's how everybody was thinking. So everyone ended up with a baby, except Halima. Initially she passed on him, but then she, she mentioned to her husband, she had her own biological child as well, her own, her own baby boy as well. So she mentions to her husband that I don't want to. I don't want to go back empty-handed. I want to go back with someone, with 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 a child as opposed to no child. I think I'll go back and 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 take care of the the orphan. And the husband was supportive. He said, "Okay, you know, may, maybe we'll find blessing in that." So they go and 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 they negotiate. The Prophet, he was, uh, he was with his mother, and then his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, his, his father's father, so his dada, was an absolute legend in the Arabian Peninsula. Even then, because the father specifically was not there, there was all this hes hesitation. And people were looking at it with lenses of, uh, 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 lenses of dunya. Hanima Saadiya takes, so that's nego they negotiate, and then now she's, responsible for the Prophet ﷺ. And as soon as that happens, and they're heading back to, they're Bedouins, they're heading back to their encampment. Initially, when they were coming in, her animal was at the back and is weak and slow. All of a sudden, it's at the front. All of a sudden, it's at the front. And people were asking her, do you get a new animal? She said, no, it's the same one. And then they get back. And so she had a baby boy. Mothers, they, they have to breastfeed. Before that, they, because they were dealing with the famine, there were many challenges in connection with that. Now all of a sudden, she can comfortably feed not only the Prophet ﷺ, but also her biological son. And, and she mentions in, in the narration that, uh, that we, we drank milk to our fill. So the riding animal, now it's faster and, and, and better. It's like a... And, and upgrade by the grace of Allah. 
And then on top of that, they get back, and then her milk is full. Before that, it was a struggle because they're struggling with famine. So now, there's that blessing there. So the Prophet benefits from that, and the other baby benefits from that. And then now, because the, the, the babies, especially the biological son, is satiated, now, finally, he slept through the night. Any, any parent knows <laughs> the sleepless nights that come with having young kids. It, it really brings the, the, the dua to the forefront of your mind and appreciation. If Allah is merciful with me, like I'm merciful with this little munchkin, then alhamdulillah, that's going to be a good situation, inshallah. Because it's all rahmah. You're doing so much, especially when they're little. Was highlighted specifically is, is especially when someone is a baby, when they're an infant, when they're, when they're a toddler, when they're little. The parents end up remembering the sleepless nights and the struggles. The kids have no idea. right? So then 10 years later, 15 years later, when, when that same kid, now they're giving, you know, they have some attitude with their parents, there's a reason why it's so hurtful for the parents. Because they've already put in so much time and effort and work. It's a grind. And then now that same baby is, you know, when, when, when that mouth used to cry, there would be sleepless nights. What can we do? Let's do anything and everything we can to soothe this baby. But then now that same mouth is talking back to their parents 10, 15, 20 years later. SubhanAllah. It's, it's, it's a painful situation. Going back to the story, the riding animal, now it's, it's basically upgraded. In terms of the, the, the milk situation, for the babies, it's upgraded. And then now the babies, they slept through the night. And then the, because of that, the parents, they were also satiated. And then they could sleep through the night comfortably as well. And where their animals would graze, there, there, was, there was extra blessing in that. So much so that other people, they heard that for, for them, for this family, where they're grazing their animals, let, let's go there and do that. But they didn't find the same blessing. What's the lesson that I can take away from this here and now? I should reflect on this that if I, if I allow Nabi to enter my heart, then I should also hope for blessings. If I, I may not have the, 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 the ability to take care of him physically when he was a baby at that specific point in time like she did and her husband, but figuratively, in my heart, in my life, by welcoming the Prophet into my heart, then naturally I should hope for barakah in different ways, similar perhaps to what Halima Sa'diya experienced. We should also think as parents, as it relates to our kids, that unfortunately this happens a lot of the time, where if there are some, some youth who, let's say they're finishing out high school, and they tell their parents that, you know, I have this, this sincere passion, and they're serious about it. I want to study deen. I want to study the life of the Prophet more. I want to really dive into that further. I want to study Qur'an. I want to study the Qira'at, the different, the different canonical recitations. A lot of the time, a lot of parents, they do. What, the same thing that happened to the Prophet when he's a baby. Many people, pass, pass, pass. Where's the money? Right? Pass, pass. But then, look at what ended up happening for Halima, because later she would embrace Islam, when she welcomed the Prophet into her life. So much so, 
that when, when the, the allotted time, the contract basically, when that time was running out, and she took the Prophet back to his mother Amina, the negotiation was, we want to keep him more. <laughs> we, we want to keep him longer. We're, we're not satisfied with the amount of time that we had. We want more. Because they, they recognized fully and thoroughly that there's something special about this child. There's something unique that we have witnessed from the moment that we became responsible for him. We have benefited tremendously. For, forget the money that was going to be paid. In every other way, in addition to whatever that payment may have been, we have seen blessing upon blessing that was good for the mother, Halima, the father, and then also their son, and then also the Prophet ﷺ. There are guaranteed to be hidden blessings if we, in our hearts and our lives, if we welcome Nabi ﷺ into our lives, into our hearts. And if we truly have that love, if, if, someone's child comes to them, especially in an age of neo-atheism. There are many struggles that our youth are facing left and right. There are so many youth leaving Islam left and right. Constantly. Con the, the, it's, like, it's like the dam has burst and there's just, there are so many leaving and turning away. We should still have hope because the, 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 the sweetness of the deen of Islam, it speaks for itself. We ask Allah to bring them back to this deen in the most beautiful of ways, Amir Rabbil Alameen. In an age where there are so many people turning away further and further and further from Islam completely, entirely, wholeheartedly, if your child, if your teenager comes to you and says, I actually want to come closer to Allah as opposed to further, Alhamdulillah. Please support them and encourage them. You don't want to force it because if they don't really have that passion, then you know, it may not go that far. But if they come to you and they say, this is something that, that I'm interested in, sincerely, this is, this is something that I want to pursue, then reflect on the story, chew on it, think about it, that you know what, maybe this is going to be the blessing by supporting them in doing that. Like Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, a great early scholar, his father was very wealthy, he was a very wealthy businessman, multi-multi-millionaire. He sponsored and supported his son to study deen. And Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, he became a, a great scholar in many, many of the Islamic sciences. So the point is when we, when we, in our lives, we embrace the Prophet into our lives, والسلام, then we end up benefiting tremendously. The next story that I want to, that I want to get to, uh, this book, by the way, is, is called Indelible Footprints. Uh, this is the, the main resource that I'm using for this talk. Actually, it happens to be authored by Dr. Ben Gura as well, so he's into uh, philanthropy, may Allah accept it. And he's also, uh, now that he retired from being a professor at University of San Francisco a couple years ago, he's been focusing on uh, a, lot of, a lot of different types of good, and one of them is uh, writing books and producing literature. We ask Allah to accept it from him, and alameen. The next story has to do with the Prophet when the, the time comes for, for him to get married. The time comes for him to get married. When, when you look at this story, again, there are so many lessons and gems that are packed and contained within it. It's right there in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Yet sometimes we find ourselves, ironically as Muslims, going and doing the exact opposite thing. <laughs> like as if we have no shame in our game. The Prophet taught us you know, to, to go straight 
no, no, no. I, I want to. I want to go perpendicular to that. I want to. I want to go in in a very different direction. That that's up to the person. That's up to the person. But the reality is, we'll find more blessing, more benefit, more, more, more good, and more avoidance of harm by trying to follow his sunnah, by trying to follow in his footsteps. When it came time for the Prophet to get married, so initially, to preface it, Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu anha, she had already been married twice before, she already had children before, she was a wealthy businesswoman in Mecca. And she was, you could say, the most sought after woman for marriage because of her lineage, that was a really big thing in, in their society and their culture at that time. She was also wealthy, she was beautiful, she, everything was there. She had, because she was so wealthy, she would have this trade caravan and she wouldn't go herself. She would hire people to go and, and take care of the business on her behalf. She would basically hire them to go and trade on her behalf. On behalf of her company, you could say, she's an independent businesswoman, uh, literally in this case. And she had a servant, Maisara. So she heard these things about this person, the truthful, the trustworthy, the Prophet being so incredible, so amazing, so, so honest. So she decided, okay, I want to hire him. So she hired him. And Maysara goes along with the Prophet. So they go, and they trade, and then they come back. And they actually, he's perfectly honest the whole time, and he actually ends up profiting more than what she anticipated. More than what she anticipated. And she asks Maysara about him, because you learn about people through business. You learn about people through travel. You learn about people when you live with them or you live next to them. All of these are contained in that journey. They're traveling together, right? They're traveling together. Business, so, so there, there's also money, money talks in different ways. And then they're also, you know, camping together as they're journeying uh, for, for this trade, back and forth. So when she asks, Maysara, like for the real inside scoop, because if someone's putting up a front, that's one thing. But then if you're doing business with them, it's totally different. If you're traveling with them, it's different. If you're living with them, or if you're their neighbor, you live with them or next to them, it's different. So she's at, as Sayyidina Umar, he, he would highlight, So she asked Maysara for the inside scoop. You know, what, what was it like? And he only has good thing after good thing after good thing to say. So she decides that she was going to offer a proposal to him. So in, in, in our cultures, we may think that, you know, the man has to be the one to propose always and... That's what it has to be. Look to each their own. Usually, is that how it happens? Generally speaking, sure. But is there anything wrong if it happens the other way? Not necessarily. She, she, she had no problem with that. She, she knew what she wanted. She saw what she wanted. So she went for it. She sent a, uh, uh, like a mutual friend, basically, Nafisa. She goes and, and she asked the Prophet, uh, I want to read something here. Okay, so Nafisa mentions this, that she, Sayyidah Khadija, she sent me to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, basically as a secret agent, after, that's how it's mentioned here, uh, after he returned from her commercial errand in Sham, so in greater Syria. I said, Muhammad, what is keeping you from getting married? He said, I don't have the means for marriage. Common theme even until now a lot of the time. 
So for, for the young men in college, pay attention. He said, I don't have the means for marriage. I said, what if that is taken care of and you're offered to marry a woman of beauty, wealth, nobility, compatibility? Would you accept? He said, who is she? I said, Khadija. He said, how do I go about this? I said, leave everything up to me. He said, okay. He said, then, then, then I would. What was it that facilitated him not only marrying the, the, the I don't want to say cream of the crop, but like we need to understand Khadija's status in the society at that time. She was at the top. What was it that facilitated them getting married? What was it that made her so interested in him? It wasn't his wealth. She hired him. It wasn't his wealth. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't material for material reasons. Right? He didn't have that much money. He didn't have... He's, he's, you could say, paycheck to paycheck. But what was it that got her attention? What, what made him sparkle, والسلام, in her eyes? His heart, his character, his manners. His manners. Because of that, he, he, he wasn't just offered to get married, but to the Khadija, radiallahu anha. And on top of that, she proposed to him, and look at things from his side. He wasn't concerned with, okay, she was married twice before, he wasn't concerned with that. Nowadays, the reason why there's such a big marriage crisis in the Muslim community, because we make it difficult upon ourselves. We have 95 different things, we have this long checklist, and everything has to be there, everything is mandatory. And then another 95 things that cannot be present whatsoever. And then all of a sudden we have this marriage crisis. Why is it so difficult for, you know, for, for Muslims to get married? Well, we have to look internally first. And we find this concept over and over in the Qur'an and Sunnah to look inside first. Let, let, let me look within myself first. What, is there something that I can adjust? Is there something that I can do? Is there something that I can move around? Before I look outside, let me look inside. Let me look internally within myself before I look at anyone else or before I look at anything else. Was he concerned with the fact that she was married not once but twice before? He wasn't concerned. Was he concerned that she had children before? He wasn't concerned. Was he concerned that she was older than him? It's commonly reported that, that she was 40, but we have another, uh, another report that she was 28. So if he was 25 and she was 28, Allah knows. May, I mean, they ended up having six kids. It's another topic for another day. But the point is, regardless of the number, she was older than him, whether it was a little bit or a lot. Even if you go with 28, she's still older than him. Look, to each their own, if someone, if they know that, you know, for what I'm looking for, okay, not 95, but for these five things, then this matters, that matters, that matters. To each their own. But we also need to keep in mind in the back of our minds, how important are those things really? Because if so many things boil down to, what are people going to say? What are people going to say? What are people going to say? Let's throw a $150,000 wedding, even though the Nebi taught us to have a simple wedding. Within your means, have something simple. The, 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 the statistical analysis, even from, from non-Muslim sources, the data, the quantitative, unbiased data shows the more simple the wedding, the longer lasting the marriage. So the Prophet did his part, he taught us, but then it's up to us, what are we, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? 
He did his part. Are we going to meet him halfway, والسلام, and do our part? We can see within this example, if if we, you know, Allah mentions in, in the Quran uh, that one of the in Surah Araf, one of the the reasons why the Prophet was sent to break these shackles that people had uh, that that people had before him. We need to think about that, not just literally, that you have the virtues of freeing slaves, so on and so forth, back in the day, but especially socially. We, we, we have these shackles around us, we have to do things in this way, this way, this way specifically, but then if Nabi taught us differently, then it should be food for thought. We should at least reflect upon it and think about it before, before insisting that it has to be this way or that way. And look at how easy it is. Look at how practical... The son of the Prophet is, So already from uh, Halima Saadiyah uh, taking guardianship of him, right, being responsible for him, there are many blessings that we can benefit from here and now from that. From the, the Prophet getting married, there are many lessons that we can benefit from that here and now as well. I want to fast forward to when the Prophet, he, he migrates. So we have when, when just after he was born and then he gets married, and then um, when, uh, when, when the Prophet والسلام, when he, sorry, not when he migrates, that's next. But when he receives revelation, when Jibreel السلام, when he comes to the Prophet والسلام, the, the Prophet, he already had a practice where he would, he would like to isolate and he would go in a cave, Ghar Hira, and he would just... He, he, he just needed time and space away from society. He just needed some alone time, والسلام, to reflect and to think. Jibreel comes to him, and it mentions Jibreel told him to read. Read or recite. Iqra can mean both with looking at something and reading, or reciting without, without looking at something. He tells him to recite. The Prophet says, I can't recite. And we know that this happens a couple times, and then revelation is given to the Prophet, والسلام, the first few ayat of Surah Iqra, what was the first thing that he did? The first thing he did, when this epic moment happens in human history, his immediate response was to go to who? Sayyidah Khadija. That was his first response. He went to her for support. And her legacy is preserved. Every, every time we read, we recite, Ya Ayyuhal Muzzamil, Ya Ayyuhal Muddathir, these, these ayat that, that describe the Prophet as, as being covered up. Who's the one who covered him? For, and then Allah addresses him, O oh, you who is covered up, O oh, you who is wrapped up, who's, who's the one who covered him up in the first place? Sayyidah Khadija. From the beginning, he receives Iqra, and then after that you have the beginning of Muddathir and the beginning of, of Muzammil. She's the one who, who covered him up. So he goes to her, and this should make us reflect, okay, what can, what can I do as a spouse? What can I do at home so I can try to, to cultivate, so I can contribute to a healthy environment being created? What can, I, what can I do? Is there something that I can adjust? Is there something that I can, that I can perhaps fine-tune in connection, in connection with this? He wouldn't have gone home if he didn't feel like he was going to get the support that he needed. So he goes home, and he mentions to Sayyidah Khadija what happened, and he mentions that he was, he was afraid, he was afraid for his life. 
And she radiallahu anha says, she swears that God, Allah will never disgrace you. Wallahi la yukhzikallahu abada. Wallahi Allah would never disgrace you. Before they even fully understand what happened, that part is for sure. That part, there's no question about it. So she mentions, God will never disgrace you. Why? Because of who he was and what he did. You unite kin, you bear the burden of the weak, you help the poor and the needy, you're hospitable to guests, and endure hardship in the name of truth. So right off the bat from the beginning, we may not fully understand what this is, we may not fully comprehend it, but because I know you, I know that this ha we may not understand it, but this has to be some kind of a good thing. It can't be a bad thing. This cannot be something that, that is an indication that Allah is upset with you. There's no way. And she's saying this, having lived with him, having been married to him, now for 15 years. So it should make us reflect, wow, what kind of husband must the Prophet have been, for her to respond with such a positive response. For her to testify to his character. And you find this consistently with the Prophet ﷺ, even after he passes away, when Sayyidah Aisha is asked about him, what was the greatest thing about him? She says, and, and what about him wasn't great? She's saying, so the, the wife is saying this about the husband after the husband already passed away. He's not there in her presence, he's not there, you know, listening, what is she going to say? The Prophet has passed away, when she's asked this, and what about him isn't great? His character was the Qur'an. He was like a Qur'an that would walk on the face of the earth. So she's praising him, praising him, praising him. So it should cause us to take a step back and reflect. Practically, okay, how are things going at home? The reality is there are ups and downs. There are ups and downs for everyone. In every marriage, in every family, when you go through the Qur'an from beginning to end, Within that, you come across a number of challenging situations at home. Going back to the first family, you have Prophet Adam salam. one son kills the other. It's challenging at home. You find Prophet Nuh, his wife turns away. Uh, one of his sons turns away. Challenging situation at home. Your Prophet Ibrahim, his father threatens to kill him because he's inviting him to La ilaha illallah. It's in Surah Maryam. So he's trying to, with this incredible... The, like Prophet Ibrahim was a genius tactician. Like he, he would he would try through this way and that way. And look at what he mentions in Surah Maryam. Ya abati, ya abati, ya abati, and the different points that he makes. And then it gets to the point where his father tells him, if you don't stop then then I'm gonna kill you. A difficult situation at home. So he 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 basically leaves a toxic situation. He needed distance, so he took the space that he needed. A difficult situation at home. The Prophet himself, people may not know this uh, within the Muslim community, the Prophet himself did get divorced. He did divorce Sayyidah Hafsa. And then they reconciled and they, you know, things worked out. But the point is, there were these very, 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 not only human things, but these are some extremely difficult challenges. So there are going to be ups and downs at home, but the reflection should be, okay, how can I practically benefit from this here and now? What is something that I can take from the example of the Prophet ﷺ as a husband 
How can I take something small from that and then try to live it at home? What, what can I do to try to... And then you connect this with how... Because the, the Prophet was consistent through and through. So later, when the Prophet is described والسلام, by, by his wives within the home, he would do his own chores. Right? He would patch up his own clothes. He would patch up his own shoes. He, like, he was just very easygoing. He not only did his own chores, والسلام, but he would also help with other people's chores after that was done. When, when, he was, when, when, he, he, when Sayyidah Aisha was asked to describe him, she said that he was constantly serving his family. And then when, when the adhan would be called, he'd go out for prayer. This, this is who our Prophet was, So if we can benefit from this and take something from this and say, okay, so that must have, if the Prophet's doing that in his 40s, in his 50s, in his early 60s, والسلام, guaranteed he's going to be doing it in his 20s and 30s. One of his signatures is that he's consistent. So that must have been something what he would contribute to the home life that must have tied in, that must be tethered with the response that he got from Sayyidah Khadija. So again, when we look at the seerah with lenses of intentionality and practicality, okay, there's this story, how can I benefit from it? What's something that I can pluck from it? How can I pluck fruit from that tree so I can taste it and I can share it with my family so they can taste it as well? And this goes both ways. The Prophet was amazing towards Khadija, she was amazing towards him. Naturally, within any relation, you find this later on in the Medani period and the Prophet, he's going through a hard time, it's in Surah Ahzab with his wives and that's its own story. But there were ups and downs. But how did he navigate them? How did, how did he traverse those difficult paths? How did he have those difficult conversations? How did, the Prophet was such an, a quick story before we get back to this. The Prophet was such an amazing husband, والسلام, that this in the Medani period, when, um, when, when Aisha and Hafsa mentioned to him that he, because he would go to Zainab uh, bin Jahsh and she was a bit wealthier. And honey was much more expensive then. Now you can go to the store and you pick it up and it's not that big of a deal. But it was really this expensive delicacy in, in, in their culture and their society at that time. So Sayyidah Zainab, one of the wives of the Prophet, she could afford it. This, this, you know, this really special delicacy. And the Prophet loved it. So Aisha and Hafsa, they couldn't quite afford it. They couldn't quite afford it. So they said, okay, let, let's do this. This is, this is a very human side. They said, let's do this. After the Prophet goes to Zainab's house, when, when he comes and he, he sees us afterwards, then we're going to tell him that, you know, something smells funny on your breath. So the Prophet, he goes and, and, and he visits Sayyidah Zainab and there's honey and because and he, would, he would appreciate it, he would enjoy it consistently. So afterwards he goes to, to, to see Sayyidah Aisha and immediately she remarks that, oh, there, you know, there's some foul smell coming from your breath. So he, he was confused by this, and so he became a little bit concerned. And then right after that, he goes to see Sayyidah Hafsa. She says the same thing. So he became concerned. Maybe the honey is making my breath smell bad. The Prophet is such an amazing husband. His reaction was, he made honey haram on himself. <laughs> because he didn't want his breath to offend his wives. 
This is his way of thinking. But then Allah corrects the situation. Oh Prophet, why are you making forbidden what Allah has made permissible for you? And then there's that whole story. But the, what was the way the Prophet was thinking? Maybe, maybe there's something I can change. Maybe there's something that I can adjust to, to, to essentially improve things, to contribute towards, towards things getting better in, in the home life. That was his mentality. Now we're going to fast forward to when the Prophet arrives in Medina. We'll, uh, we'll mention this and then we'll mention when he passes away. When the Prophet arrived in Medina, and I want us to think about who, about who he was and what do we feel, what comes to our minds, what comes, what comes up in our hearts when we hear Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when we're reminded of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how much does that mean to us? It doesn't mean that we're going to like, you know, break down and, and weep every time we hear uh, the Prophet والسلام, that, that would be an unrealistic expectation. But internally in the heart, is there some kind of effect, even if it's something small? How connected do we feel to saying Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, to sending Salawat upon the Prophet? There, I mean, this is a very rich practice in our tradition, in our history. Especially if someone, and this applies now, just like it did back then, especially if someone is going through a difficult time. Especially if it's a difficult time at home. Arguably, the best dhikr is salawat upon the Prophet specifically. Alayhi salatu wasalam. Specifically. إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُذِبَ عَنْكُمْ الرِّجِسَ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ وَيُطَاهِرَكُمْ تَطْهِيرًا Sending salawat upon the Prophet over and over and over and over. Sometimes, you know, it's okay to, 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 to put the phone down even 10 minutes before going to sleep. I know there's a whole blue light and it should be longer before that, but realistically speaking, it doesn't always happen. It is what it is. Maybe we can put our phones down and instead of, you know, what's it, what's it called? Doom scrolling? Where you're just scrolling and scrolling and just news feed. Think about that news feed. So what are we feeding ourselves with? Because that does affect our minds and our hearts. If we can just tuck the phone away, just put it away, and just spend a few minutes, it could be five, ten minutes, sending salawat upon the Prophet before we go to sleep, doing any dhikr before going to sleep, reading any Qur'an before going to sleep, reading Surah Al-Mulk, Al-Mulk, before going to sleep, maybe waqi'ah, maybe we heard the, the, the end of Surah Al-Baqarah, the virtues of, of, of the end of Surah Al-Baqarah is incredible. The Prophet said that whoever recites the last two ayahs of, of Surah Al-Baqarah, then for them it will suffice. And when, when, when the Prophet leaves it open-ended like that, it should actually make us get our hopes up. Like, wow. And then you have scholars offering different opinions. Does it mean that it would, it would be sufficient uh, as it relates to, uh, you know, tahajjud? Is it sufficient as it relates to protection for the night? Is it sufficient? Allah is generous, Allah is kareem. We, we do what we can and, and, and we ask Allah to accept it. If we can take just a few moments, even a few minutes before we go to sleep, send some salawat upon the Prophet ﷺ, just out of gratitude, out of appreciation. How many du'as have we learned because of the Prophet? How many, you know, now there, there, there's so much attention, as there should be, given to mindfulness. 
as there should be. What's incredible, mindfulness is so embedded in Islam as it relates to the different adhkar that the Prophet taught us centuries ago, alayhi salatu wasalam. I'll give you an example briefly. Mindfulness is when you're putting on your shoes and you're mindful, I'm going to put on my right shoe before my left shoe. That tiny micro exercise is actually good for your brain, it's good for your mind. It's good for the person. Before a person enters the restroom, they enter with their left foot and then they exit with their right foot. The masjid is the opposite. You enter with your right foot, you leave with your left foot. When you get in the car, subhanAllah, before you eat, you say this. After you eat, you say that. In the morning, you say these of God. In the evening, these of God. We benefit so much more than we realize in reality from these different things that the Prophet taught us. So just a, a reminder, let's, let's just try to be a little bit mindful. And inshallah, we are, but hopefully we can continue when it comes to sending salawat upon the Prophet especially morning, even a little bit. And in the evening, especially a little bit, particularly before we go to sleep. When the Prophet arrives, we'll, we'll be done soon. When the Prophet arrives in Medina, so we're going chronologically. When the Prophet arrives in Medina, at this point he's 53. So he receives revelation in Mecca when he's 40. Migration is when he's 53 because they were in Mecca for 13 years. So he arrives in Medina and Anas ibn Malik, he, subhanAllah, his, he's the one who mentions this. What, what the scene was like when the Prophet arrives in Medina. He arrives with Abu Bakr, and people were asking, you know, which one is he? People were getting, and the narration mentions, even, even the old women were getting on their roofs, right? Get, getting on the, the, the roof of, of their house, and, and they're, they're asking those around them, which one is he? Because they, they didn't know which one was the Prophet, which one was, was Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu. So there, there's, so there's this excitement in the city, and Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik, he mentions that I never saw a brighter day in Medina than the, the, the day that he arrived, Look at the impact. Someone from, from perhaps a different background, they may think, this is one person. Really? Yeah. <laughs> when you learn about him, the more you learn about the Prophet, then the more you love him, And it happens naturally. You, you look at so many different stories and you think to yourself, how did he do that? How in the world did he not have the people of Taif completely crushed after they stoned him and chased him out of the city? How, how is he concerned about their kids? And then later on they become Muslim and their kids as well. And until now, you can look this up, until now, the best roses in the world come from Taif. The most roses, the best and the most roses in the world come from Taif. SubhanAllah. This is our Prophet ﷺ. How is it that when at the time of the conquest of Mecca, someone in his army, one of his generals mentioned, today is going to be a day of slaughter. Today is going to be a day of malhama. He has this mindset of revenge. And the Prophet ﷺ, he says, no, today is a day of marhama. No, today's a day of mercy. It makes you pause, it makes you freeze and take a step back and you wonder, how? How? And it forces you to say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I tip my cap to you. It makes you love him more, it makes you appreciate him more. How is it when 
when, when, when the Prophet, after the Battle of Badr, when he tells, this is the, the, the first battle, right? This is the first battle between the Muslims and Quraysh, and they have prisoners of war. How is it afterward? Think of everything he went through, 13 years in Mecca. You have Bilal, and the, the trials and tribulations that he went through. You have Abdullah bin Mas'ud getting jumped because he goes and recites, he starts reciting Surah Al-Rahman publicly in front of the Kaaba, putting his life at risk, just for reciting some Qur'an. And ironically, Surah Al-Rahman, like they, they didn't get the hint. They go and they beat him up and he almost dies. People attempting to, to kill the Prophet just because he says, La ilaha illa Abu Bakr mentions the same thing that Mu'min the believer from the people of Fir'aun said regarding Musa, are you going to kill someone just because he says, my Lord is Allah? And then you find after the battle of Bed, the Prophet ﷺ, he tells the Muslims, they have prisoners of war. He tells the Muslims, not only to feed them, but give them the better food. You, you eat the regular food, you know, the average food, but give them food that's better. Like, who thinks like that? There's so many examples and, and different hadith and narrations and when, when there's a sahabi. Addiction is a serious thing affecting our community, the Muslim community, in many different ways. The, the issue, the general issue of addiction is rampant within the Muslim community, just like it is outside. We're no different. We think we are, we're not. That we're human. Those challenges that are out there, the same challenges are in here. Meaning within the Ummah of the Prophet There was a Sahabi, a companion of the Prophet struggling with alcohol addiction even after, even after it's made illegal basically. It's made haram, it's made illegal. Addiction is tough. So he kept slipping and slipping and slipping and getting in trouble, getting in trouble over and over. Repeatedly. Take a step back and think about that. A Sahabi in Medina, in the city of the Prophet, when the Prophet is alive, is still struggling with alcohol addiction. So if we find out, if we hear that someone within our community is struggling with addiction, how can we respond to help them? What can we do to make things better? What, what can we do? Instead, people, they go and they say, well, we're going to look at them funny, we're going to judge them and talk behind their backs. Be careful. Because if they've done tawbah for that sin, and they're doing tawbah repeatedly for that sin. And you're judging them for it, Allah will take it from them and give it to you. You'll be tested with that same trial if you don't look at these people with humility. But oftentimes we don't do that as Muslims, and then what goes around comes around, for better or for worse. So this Sahabi, he's struggling with alcohol addiction. He's struggling. He's a human being. So he gets caught up again, and there was a, a companion who was there, who said like some very harsh words uh, towards him, because he got, he got caught again. So th this uh, companion cursed him, and the Prophet was there. Interestingly enough, ironically enough, the Prophet responds, والسلام, defending the alcoholic. Telling the other companion, don't assist shaitan against your brother when he's down, i.e. don't kick him when he's down. Rather, 
excuse me, rather I know he loves Allah and his messenger. Can you imagine the Prophet saying that about you? Imagine if the Prophet says, I know that you love Allah and his messenger. That's incredible. The Prophet is reframing, alayhi salatu wasalam. He's adjusting, he's adjusting the scope of the camera. Is the Prophet saying that what he's doing is okay? No. The, the Prophet, he, he's the Prophet, he's also the head of state. He's also the, the legislator for the law. So that wasn't compromised, but how he was seen with, with humility. There are struggles that are, that are happening here. So Anas ibn Malik, he mentions that when the Prophet came to Medina, there was, Medina saw no brighter day than the day that he came. And there was no darker day in Medina than the day that he passed away. When you look at the different things that happened within Medina, you have Badr, you have Uhud, you have the Battle of the Trench, you have Ahzab, you have Hudaybiyah, eventually you have the conquest of Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ, he had so much love for the Ansar. We need to understand and realize the reason why the Prophet went to Ta'if was because his wife Khadija had just passed away. But that's not the main reason why he went to Ta'if. The main reason why he went to Ta'if looking for another home for the Muslims is because his uncle Abu Talib passed away days. Khadija and Abu Talib passed away with days in between. So imagine within the span of a week, the Prophet loses his main supporter privately, Khadija, and his main supporter publicly, Abu Talib, especially in the political space. Now Abu Talib is gone. That's why he goes to Ta'if. He's trying to talk to different people from different tribes and communities if they can take him in, if they can take the Muslims in. Because now in Mecca, Mecca is being run by Abu Jahl, Abu Lahab, so on and so forth. That's why he goes to Ta'if. And then that happens, where he's chased out and stoned and so on and so forth. He goes through so much in Medina when you come across these different stories, of course there are so many, I mean, tonight is just the, the, the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, but my hope is that all of us, we can use this as like a springboard of some type of inspiration on our own time. Let's connect more with the seerah of the Prophet. If someone commutes, first of all, may Allah help you, second of all, can I listen to some seerah, something from any of the many scholars out there, may Allah bless all of them, I just want to learn more about him. And if you finish one lecture series, can you start another? If you finish one book, can you find? Can you start another? Right? Over and over and over. Because when you're spending time listening about the life of the Prophet, it's as if you're spending time with him. When you're reading about him, it's as if you're spending time with him. Through learning about him, naturally that should catapult the love that we have for him to, to skyrocket exponentially. Naturally, when you learn more about him, you love him. So if I say that I love him, but I, I haven't learned that much about him, yes, the love can be there, but it, it's not deep yet. Yet. But it can and it will get deep when that time is invested. We spend so much time, you know, watching Netflix or, or listening to talk radio or this podcast or that one and all these different things. Okay, fine. They have their time and their place. You know, keep it within certain parameters and navigate as best you can. 
but out of love for the Prophet, not because I necessarily have to, but because I want to. Can I listen to a little bit about the five minutes every day? Can I, can I read one hadith from the Shama'il of the Prophet, one hadith every day? Something from Riyadh al-Salihin, anything, just to maintain that flow of being reminded of who he was, والسلام, I want to fast forward to when the time comes when the Prophet passes away and it ties in <coughs> with the fact that we're here, we're in the masjid. I want to read this and, and we'll conclude and we can take any questions if anyone has any. Ibn Shihab, so Ibn Shihab was a scholar. Ibn Shihab said on the authority of Enes, it was Monday, and the Muslims were doing their morning prayer, led by Abu Bakr. Nothing distracted them from their prayers, were it not that the Prophet ﷺ had lifted the curtain of Aisha's room where he was. He watched them as they were lined up in prayer. He smiled and then laughed softly. Abu Bakr stepped back to join the line, thinking that the Messenger of God wanted to join the prayer. Anas said, the Muslims' prayerful concentration, concentration was put to a test because of their joy at seeing the Prophet So the Prophet signaled to them with his hand as if to say, go on and complete your prayer. Then he entered the room again and drew down the curtain. What was it that made the Prophet smile? He saw his community praying. He saw them praying, he saw them praying in the masjid. This was an indication to him that all the struggles, all the strife that he went through, okay, if, if this is the fruit from it, alhamdulillah. So the last image they had of him was him smiling, The last time they saw him before he passed away, he was smiling. And what was it that made him smile? When he saw his community praying. When it comes to communal prayer, it's not just about the four rakahs of Isha, may Allah accept them from everyone, or the two rakahs of Fajr, may Allah accept them from everyone. It's not just about the quantity of the, the, the number of rakahs and, and the prayer that has its time and its place. But what's the quality of the relationships of the people praying next to each other? Because if we don't know who we're praying next to, we can meet them, we can greet them, we can say salam to them, we can get to know them. What should happen is, as a person prays in a masjid, any masjid, more, the more they should learn about the people there, and the more they should learn about the people in need in that community, and they should take an active role in trying to help them. Now we see the vision of communal prayer. It's not just about prayer in jama'ah. Establish prayer and give zakat. Allah connects the spiritual with the social. I.e., if you guys are praying together, you guys in general, if you're praying together, what should happen is, through getting to know each other socially, building those bonds socially, you start to learn different things about different people in good ways. You also learn, oh, this person is sick. Hey, let's go visit them. That person's in the hospital. Let's go see them. That person is sick. Let's make du'a for them. There's this noble cause. Let's do something in connection, in connection with it. Prayer is supposed to lead to zakat. 
if we want to see how fruitful our prayer is as a community, the reflection is in how much do we know each other socially in general, and then how, how often do we take steps to help people within our community, or do we take steps with people in our community to help other people, maybe in a different community. It's not just about the prayer in a vacuum in and of itself. Sometimes we think of it in that way. It's about what it's supposed to lead to. It's about the before, during, and after the prayer. Not just during, also before, also after. The two, and, and you find example after example from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. When, when a, a poor man enters the masjid at the time of Jum'ah, the Prophet asks him to pray two rakats. So he does. And everyone's eyes are on him. Jum'ah finishes. They have a quick fundraiser for him because he was so poor. So they were quick to act, they were quick to respond. Let's help him. That's the fruit of prayer. That's the fruit of community to actually be there for each other, especially in times of need. And when our youth see this, when they experience this even, then that increases their iman. If they're struggling to pay the rent and then the Muslim community helps them to make ends meet, some generous person from within the, the community, they pay their rent for a few months. They help them with their electricity bill, so on and so forth. Naturally, that's going to increase their, wow, so these are the Muslims. It's really awesome. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live our faith as best we can. What made the Prophet smile when he saw his ummah praying? We ask Allah to accept all of our prayers. I'll conclude with this, the, the last portion of it. The Prophet gives his final advice. Ali narrates, that the last words that the Messenger of God uttered before he breathed his last were, Be mindful of your prayers, be mindful of your prayers, and be, mindf and be mindful of God and how you deal with the people under your control, servants, etc. Aisha used to say, one more paragraph, uh, bear with me. Aisha used to say, out of God's grace, the Messenger of God died in my house during the day of my turn while he was leaning against my chest and that God made it possible for my saliva and his saliva to come together on the day he passed away. Abdurrahman bin Abu Bakr, so her brother, had entered the room with a green miswak, which is, you know, that was like the old school toothbrush, the original toothbrush, uh, used for brushing teeth, in his hand. The Prophet was leaning his weight on me. I saw him looking at it, the miswak, and I knew that he loved miswak. I said, should I get it for you? He said, yes, by nodding his head. I took it, but it was hard for him. I said, can I soften it for you? He affirmed by nodding his head. So I softened it in my mouth. He brushed his teeth. Close to him was a container with water. He dipped his hands in the water and rubbed his face saying, there is no God but God. Truly the pangs of death are intoxicating. He then stretched forth his hand and said, with the highest companion, Rafiq al-A'la. He kept saying this until he breathed his last and his hand dropped so slowly. Tonight was a very, very, very brief um, overview of just some key points, some key moments and key stories from the life of the Prophet, from Halima Saadiyah when, when, when she you know, takes responsibility for him, to when he gets married, to when he receives revelation, right? which shows the, the importance of education in, in our community, both the, 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 the secular sciences and the sacred sciences with the right niyyah, studying the secular sciences, will bring you closer to Allah. With the right niyyah, and with the right friends around you, 
then you'll make it through university okay. Because we don't just want our youth to get into the top universities, Harvard, Stanford, you name it. MashaAllah, that, that's a, a blessing in and of itself. Partially, we want it to be a complete blessing. We want them to enter as Muslims and exit not just as Muslims, as better Muslims than, than they were when they entered it. That's the complete vision. It's not just, I want my kid to get into the school. Okay, how many times they, they enter as Muslim and they exit as atheist? And then the, 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 the same parents now, there's this, it's a, it's a serious challenge. But as a community, if we do what we can to try to learn about the Prophet and then embody that spirit, that's going to attract our youth to our masajid. And then that's going to equip them by being part of the fabric of the community. That's going to naturally prepare them. And then as they go off to college, as they go off to university and they get work and they live their lives, they, they inshallah maintain that connection. So tonight was just a brief overview from the, the, the story of Halima Sa'diya when the Prophet gets married, early revelation, and the Prophet, he sought refuge with Sayyidah Khadija. What was first revealed has to do with, with learning, iqra. Let me learn for myself through the right means regarding deen and then also regarding any, any other science out there. With the right niyyah, someone wants to become an engineer, okay, make your niyyah that you want to do that engineering to help people. How can I use that to help people? Someone wants to study medicine. How can I use that to help people? That's going to add depth to the purpose and it's going to add barakah in the pursuit of that, inshallah. We're also reminded of when the Prophet arrived in Medina. The best day was when he arrived and the, the darkest day was when he passed away. And then also what made him smile before he passed away and then what was his parting advice, alayhi salatu wasalam, very brief reminder, but we hope and we pray that this can inspire all of us to, 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 to spend more time learning about the beloved sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We ask Allah to help us to learn more about him, to love him more, and we ask Allah to help us to take whatever we easily and practically can from his example. May Allah help us to practice it consistently as best we can. I know it's a little bit late. May Allah bless all of you. For your wonderful patience, you know, for sabrun jameel, patience is beautiful. So there's so much <laughs> beauty in this room, mashallah. May Allah bless all of you for, for bearing with us until now. Does anyone have any, any comments, any, any questions, any reflections they want to share before we wrap up and conclude? We can start on the sister side if there's anything, uh, whether it's a comment, whether it's a question, before we wrap up. Very good question. So the, the sister is asking, my Allah bless you and your family, is there a special way that we should send uh, salawat upon the Prophet, to send durood upon the Prophet So you actually mentioned the, the best way of doing it. One time the, the, the Prophet, he was asked by a companion, what is the best way for me to send salawat upon you, to send peace and blessings uh, upon you? And he responded with, uh, 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 Salah Ibrahimiyah. Durood Ibrahimiyah, is that what it's called? Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad kama salli ta'ala Ibrahim wa ala Ali Ibrahim inna ka hamidun majeed. Allahumma barik ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad kama barak ta'ala Ibrahim wa ala Ali Ibrahim inna ka hamidun majeed. Or another slightly different version at the end, Fil'alamid inna ka hamidun majeed. Basically, the same thing. So his response was, that's the best way. So that's, and that's what we say in prayer. 
And that's why that's what we say in prayer. That's the best way. But you have many, many formulations. You have Dala'il al-Khayrat, which is filled with uh, uh, a bunch of different beautiful ways of very poetically sending uh, peace and blessings upon the Prophet. Uh, there, there are many examples from different, different regions of different scholars in the area uh, producing, uh, whether it's poetry, whether it's you know, different uh, formulations. Uh, all of it is good, inshallah. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to be one way or the other. The best would be Durud uh, Ibrahimiyah, but otherwise, you know, anything that would fall under that banner, inshallah, would be uh, would be good. Uh, but may may uh, may Allah accept it from from everyone here. Any other questions on the sister side before we? Thank you for asking the question. Good question, Jazakallah. No, I've also been a teacher for many years, so I should just start calling people. A lot of brothers left. <laughs> they got scared. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Any, any, uh, any other questions on the sister side before we switch over? The name of the book, good question. Indelible Footprints. I think it's for $10 on Amazon. Indelible Foot. I can show you afterwards if you want a closer look, uh, if you want. Um, it, it's very nice, actually. The way so this is the the new expanded edition. I used the initial edition a couple years ago in uh, a youth halaqa that I had at that time. One of the reasons why I used this book uh, in that context at that time is because it's broken down into short stories. So it's very easy to you cover a short story and then you talk about it, and then you cover a short story and you talk about it, uh, and it's very easy to progress through it. Maybe some of them want to do one story a day, so it's it's broken up. Uh, in a very practical way. So, Indelible Footprints by Ahmed Sheikh uh, Bangura. Good question, Jazakallah Khair. Any other comments or questions on the sister side before we switch over? We can always come back to you. I'm just uh, making the offer first. Okay, anything on the brother side? Any, any questions, any comments, reflections? I'm sorry, calling on people. <laughs> when it comes to Sira, it's it's always a good reminder amazingly for everyone so if someone if someone if they are learning about Islam who's not Muslim yet there's going to be a lot of benefit if they just became Muslim a lot of benefit if someone is a scholar and they have you know graduate degree from you know this university there's going to be benefit there's and this is the, the beauty of the seerah of the Prophet, is that it really centers everyone as a Muslim, and there, there's so much that we can gain and, uh, and benefit from it, inshallah. Okay, we can go ahead and wrap up. We ask Allah to make this reminder beneficial for us. We ask Allah to make us from among those who, when we hear something beneficial, we take something good from it, we take the best from it. الَّذِينَ يَسْتَمِعُونَ الْقَوْلَ فَيَتَبِعُونَ أَحْسَنَةً We ask Allah to make us from among them. سبحانك اللهم بحمدك نشهد ولا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين أمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصلح. Which button? Should be next. Somewhere. Unless forgot to push it. <laughs> it could be getting live. <laughs> it's live, but.
How do you add a comment? What, what, you should be something right? in the top. Yeah, up here. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah.